0: DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the St. Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He is the author of Hidden Mountain, Secret Garden, a theological contemplation of prayer, as well as numerous other books focused on the spiritual life. In this series of conversations with Dr. Lillis, we focus on Doctor of the Church, St. Teresa of Avila, and her great spiritual masterwork, The Interior Castle. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Anthony, thank you so much for joining me again.
1: It's wonderful to be with you, Chris. I'm really excited about what we're about to talk about, Book 6 of The Interior Castle. We're, we're at Chapter 4, and I've been uh, looking forward to our conversation.
0: We are really diving deep into the heart of Teresa of Avila, aren't we?
1: Uh, you know, uh, we're in the inner-dwelling places of the castle, When we were talking earlier in earlier shows about the first and second and third dwelling places, those are kind of like on the periphery, but now we're really deep into the heart. And so there are beautiful things that happen that God entrusts to his friends who dare to journey this deep. Uh, And so she expounds on those. And what you're oftentimes getting in her descriptions are her own actual experiences that aren't from years and years and years ago, but relatively more recent in her life. And so she recounts them with with greater detail. In fact, when I, when I teach St. Saint, Saint Teresa, I like to teach La Vida, uh, or her life, uh, the first book she wrote. I like to teach that for the, the beginning stages of prayer because she remembers them so much better at that stage of her life, what she went through. And then the upper stages, she's begun to experience them, but, but some of the mystical graces, she's still working out exactly what this means that she's experienced what she has had. In this book, it, it, the, the power of it is precisely where we are right now. These are experiences that are fresh to her, and she's had that many more years of, of theological formation and experience in the service of the Lord. And that wisdom really comes out in the way she deals with these things.
0: It's so interesting in that first paragraph of the fourth chapter of the Sixth Mansion, where she mentions that you have to have courage, courage for union with a Lord so great it may take him for her spouse. Isn't that interesting? You have to have courage.
1: It's like that by analogy with with any relationship that's really important. You know, I think today we live at a time where there's a lack of courage when it comes to meaningful relationships. I'm, I'm talking in, in particular, we have a lot of young people who are living together and they're afraid to get married. If you ask them, you know, why don't you want to get married? They're afraid of what might go wrong if they do get married, that they won't be able to be faithful or they're Afraid of being stuck with the other person and that kind of thing, and um, that fear has robbed them. And the fear is a lack of courage. Uh, to have courage means to have heart, and if you don't, if you don't have heart, uh, you don't have what it takes to stick with something, come what come may. And that's what they're concerned uh, about. They they're not so sure that they or the person they're living with has the heart that's needed for a lifetime commitment, and so they they enter into these kind of tentative arrangements, tentative arrangements for the human person that they're not really good for us. We're made for something permanent, and we're made for a kind of greatness, and a lifetime of faithful love is begins to unfold the greatness of humanity. Jesus, in these higher levels of prayer, has brought a soul, has asked, basically asked for the soul's hand and the soul right now in the sixth mansion is being waken up by Jesus. He's waking up the soul. So, And part of waking up the soul is helping it find the courage it needs to, for an even deeper commitment, an even more meaningful intimacy with the Lord, one that is marked by a fruitful fidelity, very close to what marriage is. And in fact, you could say that marriage is kind of a shadow of what Jesus is promising, promising the soul as he wakes wakes her up. But for Jesus to do his work on our side, we need to have the courage, the resolve, the determination, uh, the readiness to respond. um, And and we can't be half-hearted about it. We need to be willing to go all the way. And above all, this means... The courage, the heart, to trust God, come what come may.
0: It's fascinating, this first paragraph. Not only she talks about having courage, but she also begins to shed some light on an experience I think is quite fascinating. It's the the nature of raptures that the soul Mm. might experience. And I I just have to say, as a woman, I'm kind of hard on my own sex. And when she said, I'm speaking of genuine raptures, not fancies that come from women's weakness, which so often occur nowadays, and I had a laugh because I thought, well, what's old is new again. <laughs> because, and, I'm, I, and I convict myself, too. I mean, you, it, it's kind of her frankness about this, her, her practicality is just so refreshing. I think that's why she's such a joy to read.
1: Sure, and for somebody who is a little bit more sensitive and tender, there's strengths with that. You know, you're you're able to respond to what's going on in a, uh, the moment precisely because you are tender and sensitive to what what's going on. But but you can also be easily overcome in, in the moment. And that's that's true. Women, it's it, men too, though. Saint John of the Cross, you know, he was a poet, and um, and so he. Uh, uh he was very sensitive to things that were going on. And that's why the Lord kind of needed to toughen him up by throwing him in prison for a little while. And <laughs> that actually prepared him for deeper and more sustained kinds of union. So it's what she's talking about, though. And what's kind of key is we we live at a time today where there's kind of like a, a gluttony or lust for religious experience. Mm. And current including this, this kind of rapture. And the, the problem, if we're not a little bit more sober about the way we're approaching um, um, experiences in prayer, it's easy for us to self-manufacture something that is not God. And so Teresa's a realist, and she's going to say self-manufacturing a, a state of consciousness or a psychic state isn't really going to help you with your union with God. In fact, your ability to self-manufacture a psychic state says more about the weakness of your nature than it does about what God's actually doing in your heart. And so she's inviting people to step back uh, and to be a little bit more strong, to have a little bit more heart in their relationship with the Lord and not to seek for things in an inordinate way. We should seek the Lord with all our might, with all our strength, with our whole soul. Every heartbeat should yearn for the Lord. Last time we spoke, we talked about locution. If he gives you an inner word, what a beautiful thing, a gift to have. If he doesn't, you don't need it. If he gives you a rapture and and some sort of vision in this rapture, well, praise him for that. That's a wonderful gift. In one sense, a little bit ordinary from the standpoint of it's not something that you've received that's beyond the scope of your the baptismal grace that you've received, um, but you don't need it to be enraptured in order to have union with God. God might lead you in a totally different way. And so being sober, rooted in yourself, and not getting caught up in kind of gluttonously uh, devouring spiritual experiences is a must if you are oriented towards trying to acquire spiritual experiences in prayer, you will always go off track every single time.
0: I think that's, as you use the term sobering, we need to be sober about this stuff. Even St. Paul, in a way, says don't become a drunkard because you never know. And we can get drunk on a desire to consume those kind of experiences. Am I correct?
1: That's right. If you look at St. Paul's writings, in fact, he will describe raptured being enraptured into the highest heaven. And what did he see there? I mean, it, it's amazing. But he hardly describes it. He in fact, in his letters, there's no description of what he saw or experienced in the highest heaven. Mm. Uh, what does he spend most of his time describing? After he does, he talks about that experience, he says, but I will not boast about this. Instead, I will boast about, and what he boasts about, are all the failures and all the unjust persecution and all the terrible tragedies and hardships and trials, things that really cost him that were painful in his life. These were the things that he boast about. And why does he boast about those things? Because in his weakness, that's where the power of God is most revealed. In fact, he even talks about a thorn in his flesh that he begged to be removed three times. And God told him, and said, you know, my strength, God did not remove the thorn from his flesh. And he described it as a demon that uh, tormented him. And God said, I'm not going to remove this because my strength is being brought to perfection in your weakness. And so as Christians, what we honor and what we hold up has the greatest union with God, is our ability to follow in the footsteps of our crucified Master. If the Lord gives you a rapture and an intellectual vision in the rapture, thank him for that. If he gives you an interior word, a locution, thank him for that. You needed that because through that he's communicated something to you. But why did he communicate what he communicated to you? Why did you need it? Because without it, you wouldn't be able to make progress on the way to the cross. Union with God is always, always, always a progress in union with Jesus and his sufferings on the cross. And any other kind of union that somebody speaks about uh, that avoids the cross, it's simply not Christian. Jesus said, unless you deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And Teresa's very aware of that and so when she's talking about having courage in this stage she means specifically a kind of courage to be surrendered to whatever the Lord wants to give you whenever and however he wants to give it to you but she's also talking about the courage you need to make progress by way of the cross because you're not what gets communicated to you isn't a way around the cross or beyond the cross. What gets communicated to you is a wisdom and truth you need so that you can follow the way of the cross.
0: As you describe it, how ultimately our journey leads us to the foot of the cross and maybe even to experience that ourselves in a very real way through, with, and in him. We really are, we experience that, don't we, in some way every time we go to Mass. Isn't that the apex of the the spiritual journey is we we celebrate that every time we go to mass.
1: That's right. And that's, you know, right now uh, while we're doing this recording, Catholics all over the world are deprived of of the grace of being able to participate in the eucharistic liturgy by being physically present in the church. Fortunately, because of technology, so my, many of us have access to video streams and so forth. You're removed from the action of the priest by not being able to be physically present to what's going on. The sacramental ministry and the liturgical signs are things that are meant to be experienced not only in real time, but, but actually rather than simply you know, virtually and electronically. The actual experience in an electronic format is diminished. But at the same time, at the same time, uh, the uh, the reality of what's playing out, wherever Father is celebrating Mass, by an act of faith, I can unite myself to that. And if the electronic media helps me do that, uh, all the better for it. If it distracts me, then I can turn it off. I don't need it. participate in the mass i'm thinking right now i think it was in ethiopia i heard a description about christians walking for hours so they they could sit on the outside of the of a church they weren't able to enter in but they were sitting on the outside of the church while uh, waiting for hours for the eucharistic liturgy to take place and then the Eucharistic liturgy would would take place, but they were not on the inside of the church being able to see or hear very much of anything at all. They were on the outside, and yet on the outside of the church, they were making all the gestures as if they were in the inside of the church. They were following the liturgy the best they could. Just to be near the church, They have their hands on the wall, was uh, for them the way they participated in the liturgy they put their whole minds and hearts into it well i think we're called to do that today when Teresa of avila is inviting us into the inner chambers of the heart the the inner dwelling places of this beautiful sp- spiritual castle that she's unpacked for us with such astonishing detail she's inviting us to be draw close to the eucharistic lord He is the light of the world. He's the light of our souls in the Mass. That great work that he did for us on the cross is being renewed and extended into space and time for us. And if we join ourselves spiritually to that, that is the most surefire and most powerful means to draw as close and as intimate to the Lord As we possibly can. And so it's not either mental prayer or liturgical prayer. In order to enter into the Mass, whether you can be physically present there or not, you need to mentally, in your heart, in your mind, you need to mentally make yourself present to it by faith. And when you do, then your ability to receive a spiritual communion, all the graces that you could have received had you been at Mass and been able to receive Communion, you can do that spiritually by asking Jesus for those graces even though you're not at Mass, and Jesus will give you all the graces that He intends for you to have. All those Eucharistic graces will be poured into your soul because you've drawn close to Him by this act of faith.
0: We'll return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, Tune in, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has a YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts.
2: Litany of Humility O
0: oh Jesus, meek and humble of heart,
2: hear me. From the desire of being esteemed,
0: deliver me Jesus.
2: From the desire of being loved,
0: deliver me Jesus.
2: From the desire of being extolled,
0: deliver me Jesus.
2: From the desire of being honored,
0: deliver me Jesus.
2: From the desire of being praised,
0: deliver me Jesus.
2: From the desire of being preferred to others,
0: deliver me Jesus.
2: From the desire of being consulted,
0: deliver me Jesus.
2: From the desire of being approved,
0: deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated,
2: deliver me, Jesus.
0: From the fear of being despised,
2: deliver me, Jesus.
0: From the fear of suffering rebukes,
2: deliver me, Jesus.
0: From the fear of being calumniated,
2: deliver me, Jesus.
0: From the fear of being forgotten,
2: deliver me, Jesus.
0: From the fear of being ridiculed,
2: Deliver me, Jesus.
0: From the fear of being wronged,
2: Deliver me, Jesus.
0: From the fear of being suspected,
2: Deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I,
0: That others may be esteemed more than I,
2: That in the opinion of the world others may increase and I may decrease,
0: That others may be chosen and I set aside.
2: That others may be praised, and I unnoticed.
0: That others may be preferred to me in everything.
2: That others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. Jesus,
0: grant me the grace to desire it.
2: Amen.
0: We now return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. I don't want to move around the chapter too much, but as you describe that, the, what I have heard of Teresa's experience, it she experienced incredible raptures, did she not, at communion. The ability to be able to experience in that she was so connected to what was going on at the Mass that just... Inflamed her whole soul.
1: Sure, our communion with Christ Jesus is—it's always a communion in and through His passion. It's in and through His passion that we have access to the heart of the Father. And in this kind of a uh, prayer, the, this rapture, His passion moves you so deeply into the heart of the Father. Your whole being is set on fire with His love, and that's what you're being woke, woke up to, even though you're. In rapture and it seems like she describes all the doors of the soul being closed while you're in this rapture so that you can give your full attention to the Lord there's another way in which you're uh, because the outside is being closed down you're able to attend fully and become fully awake to the love that is being unleashed within you that love that is being unleashed is for the salvation of the whole world for yourself but for the whole world And Jesus burns with it in the center of our soul. It's a consuming fire. And in a rapture, the vision that happens, you're being caught up in this consuming fire of Jesus' love.
0: It's interesting, Anthony, because she does describe that there are different types of rapture, uh, Mm. several different types, as she says. Is that true?
1: There's something like rapture, Uh, it's more like, uh, she says it's closer to to absorption, that has happened earlier in the the book. She talked earlier about the prayer of quiet, and this prayer is a little bit more appropriate for the fourth dwelling places, and and we talked about it at the time. In this, as the Lord brings you into a great stillness of your heart, there's like this little flash, a little spark, And that one little spark of his love does more for you uh, than all your meditation up to that time. It just is a delightful moment of God's love. But you might say probably a difference would be uh, that beginning experience was more to purify your uh, affectivity and the way your body relates to your spirit. And so it had a lot more to do with what St. John of the Cross would call the purification or the reordering of your senses in, in relation to prayer. Here, you're dealing with graces that John of the Cross would say are about the transforming and healing, the harmonizing of your spiritual faculties. And she talks about, too, the imagination, but also the intellect. And she says these experiences of rapture are so different that she wants to call the earlier experience that you had in the prayer of quiet, she wants to call that more like a, an absorption. Uh, and there's different kinds of things that might absorb you. But these kind of raptures that she's talking about, uh, and, and some of those things that might absorb you might be of God and some of them might might not be. you know. And so when she was talking about this experience in the prayer of quiet, she meant the experience that you have that God produces. And here too, she's talking about experiences that God produces but they're experiences that can happen in your imagination and in your intellect. And so she'll talk about an imaginative vision, and she'll talk about an intellectual vision. And the difference, so you're enraptured, and it means you're not very aware of your body anymore, and you're not very aware of your surroundings. You're not very aware of yourself, for that matter. Your whole attention is caught up in the heavenly glory of God, God's presence. Teresa Valle believes that this presence of God, this heavenly presence, isn't something remote from you. It's not like you physically leave your body to go to this other place. This heavenly p- presence is within you because God is in you and he dwells in this heavenly presence. And what he's in doing is he's inviting you to go deeper into the deeper truth of who you are where his glory is and so that you can encounter it and so that so this journey taking you through all the dwelling places but when he gives you this grace of of rapture it's almost like he's pulling you in to uh uh, himself to a little bit deeper and and his purpose in doing this is he wants to confirm the grace that you've already received the grace of having um been promised to him this grace of engagement to God, he wants to confirm that. Because remember when it happened, it was for a very short period of time, just a short moment. But in that, it was such a blessing for the soul. Well, that grace of communion with God that occurred where he promised, he unveils himself and he promises everything to the soul, and the soul says yes to it, that grace is being continued here in these this rapture and this locution. One level of rapture involves your imagination, the other involves your intellect, and when, when it involves your imagination, while it's going on, and this we're not talking about a long period of time, you're generally talking about a short period of time, even your breathing stops, your body goes, goes cold, she describes. In that very short period of time, something is communicated to your imagination. When you come out of prayer, whatever was communicated to your imagination, it's very difficult to describe it to other people, but you can kind of describe what was imprinted in your imagination. And even though it's difficult to describe, you can never forget it. It, Your imagination has been formed, imprinted with something, that it will never, never, ever forget. And similarly, or analogously, this can also happen with your intellect itself. The big difference here, because it doesn't involve your imagination, so you don't have images to directly access when others ask you about it, these are even harder to describe afterwards. Something truly has been imprinted in you, but you're not able to recall it or even, and what you can recall, you can only describe for others with tremendous difficulty. The thing, and, and what's been communicated to you? What's been communicated to you is the love, uh, truth of the Lord. And it's so astonishing and beautiful and tender and heartbreaking and jubilant all at once. It's very difficult for a soul to be able to put that into words in a way that somebody else can share with. Uh, they, they, you know, When we communicate, we want people to share our experience with us. And a soul that has been blessed with this grace has a hard time expressing what they've experienced in a way that others can share in. So they often get told that they've imagined things and that it's not real because they're not able to share what they've experienced. But Teresa saying, no, uh, that's not the case. What they've experienced is so far beyond our power to understand. Just because you can't understand it doesn't mean that something hasn't been communicated to your intellect. Just because it's difficult for you to describe doesn't mean that something hasn't dazzled your imagination. Something so beautiful there are no words to describe it.
0: It must be so frustrating for a soul that would experience something like this and not be able to to communicate it as effectively as you wish you could, and especially to uh, maybe a spiritual director or a confessor or spiritual friends. I mean, it, it, must, be a, it must cause a little bit of anxiousness or not anxiousness is not the right word, but it, it must be frustrating.
1: Uh, there's some frustration, there's some anxiety. Uh, these souls feel, although they are so grateful for the Lord and they're so on fire with his love, they also feel misunderstood and extremely alone at the same time. And Teresa says in the beginning, when you kind of feel that way, and you're complaining that people misunderstand you and even persecute you for your experiences, it is a little bit upsetting for such a soul because they're not used to this. And she's saying, she said, well, there's a little, imp- the reason why this disturbs you so much is there's a little bit of imperfection still going on. And But the love of God's going to take care of that. So you just need to trust him and not get carried away by what other people think or don't think, whether they understand or don't understand. God has brought you into a place that um, that others don't normally get to go and because you've gone there you've been entrusted with something and because no one else has been entrusted with anything like it of course they're not going to understand and you need to be patient with them and you need to be patient with God who loves you this much and so all of this is going on the deeper question is if this knowledge it, on one hand frustrates you because you can't quite share it. Nobody really understands it and they misunderstand you. Why would God give you this kind of knowledge? Uh, you know mm-hmm. uh, Or why would He baptize your intellect with images that are so astounding, even when you try to describe them to other people, they just can't get it. Why does He do this? And we've talked about this a little bit earlier, but just to go back to it, He's communicated, to you truths and love that you need for a deeper and more intimate more meaningful relationship with him and without the truth without the love that's been entrusted to you you won't be able to make progress so he's given it to you through this means and because uh, he wants you for himself and even though he knows it's going to cost you a little bit Because he wants you for himself so much and he knows the desires in your heart that you want him for yourself so much. He knows that the discomfort of feeling alone and misunderstood and falsely judged, he knows that discomfort is something that ultimately you will gladly suffer for his sake as you make progress into deeper and deeper union with him.
0: As we go through this particular mansion in this chapter uh, four, what else should we be aware of? She's describing some incredible things.
1: The two tendencies that people can have when we engage this kind of literature is they can want the experiences so much that they begin to self-manufacture them. Uh, And so, you know, people are uh, sometimes so exuberant about where they're at at the spiritual life and whether or not they're having these experiences or not, they quickly put themselves in the sixth and seventh mansions. And, mm-hmm. and that's not the reason why she's writing this. A, a certain kind of sobriety is called for Encourage to face yourself and where you're really at. You know, obviously, if you're struggling with habitual sin, you're probably not in the sixth mansion. That's one set of problems. The other set of problem is the opposite. I've seen this a lot too, and that is somebody will read this and just, well, what's the point of studying this at all? Uh, I will never get there and nobody know will ever get there. So why write or talk about these things? Why are they uh, even remotely important to consider since, you know, I will always be in the first three dwelling places and so six. I mean, I'm never going to be enraptured and have intellectual visions. I mean, forget about it. That kind of despairing attitude on one hand. One attitude is rash, And the other one is despairing. Mm. And Teresa, in her teaching, she's trying to help souls not be rash, to kind of be real about themselves and the fact that you can self-manufacture stuff. So you need to desire Jesus more than you desire the experiences. On the other hand, she doesn't want us to, to be despairing or fearful about this. You know, not too long ago, there was a priest who was killed in northern France. He was martyred. Uh, in the church uh, by uh, some young religious zealots. And he was martyred because he stood up to them about the truth of Jesus. And they were kind of drunk on religious hatred. And he just simply spoke the sober truth. And then he was martyred. One of his priest friends also from France said, you know, once I was in a conversation with, with father and there were a couple of us bantering back and forth. And we talked about you know, how we'll never be saints. And Father looked at us and said, do not say that sanctity is something not for me. It's closer to you than you think. Now, who would have known in that little conversation that that priest was going later on be martyred and therefore is a saint? But so it is with us. Do not say that these experiences are something that you'll never be able to have. Teresa's telling us about these things to invite us to be more generous to Jesus and more surrendered, more open, to encourage us to renew our devotion, to renew our dedication to the Lord because there's something worthwhile. Intimacy with the Lord is not a boring excursion into you know, a banal and meaningless life. Devotion to the Lord, intimacy with him opens up an existence so meaningful it's heartbreakingly beautiful and joyful and jubilant and filled with with glory and intimacy and greatness uh, we're called to greatness and she's trying to help us see that we're called to greatness and she doesn't want us to be rash and presume that we just get there because we wish we were there uh, on the other hand uh, she really wants us to reach for this uh, reach out for and let God communicate himself to you in new ways by being dedicated to him in your prayer. He does operate and he does come to you and he does communicate the most beautiful and wonderful things for you and when he does it's just what you need so that you can accomplish his will in your life. And not to seek this, not to seek this intimacy with the Lord, not to seek that which he yearns to give us. That that would be one of the greatest tragedies that a, a person's life could become. And so this sentiment lives behind all her writings, but perhaps this chapter in particular. One more note I would say kind of goes with this mm-hmm. to be aware of is somebody could say, okay, but all this rapture stuff and all this, this is so extra scriptural and everything, you know, you're building these kind of uh, mystical sand castles that don't really exist in our faith, and she's gotten caught up in her imagination, and it's esoteric, and is not so real. Well, I, I would contradict that. Uh, Jesus revealed himself in the New Testament as the bridegroom, and the image that he uses for us in his parables, we are virgin brides. As a man, that's a little bit harder for me to get my imagination around, but in his parables, that's the position he invites me to place myself. Well, that imagery of bridegroom and bride, it's taken up by St. Paul. and and St. Paul, uh, the uh, book of Ephesians, I I believe it's in chapter uh, Mm 5, around verse 26 or so, Jesus is the one who laid down his life for the church. And this is what's foreshadowed in marriage. This is the great mystery. So the idea of Jesus' bridegroom is not a secondary mystery or something optional that you can believe or not believe. It is, St. Paul says, the great mystery. And where else do we learn about the great mystery? Where did St. John get the language of the bride and the bridegroom and, and develop that in his gospels? And why is it so much a powerful part of the book of Revelations. Where did that come from? Well, in the Old Testament, we have the Song of Songs. And not only Teresa, but John of the Cross saw the connection of the Song of Songs with the journey that souls go through on, on their way to union with God. They saw this. And even today, what we were talking about in the Song of Songs, there are different places in those, that beautiful poem between the soul and God. There are places where the soul complains about people misunderstanding and mistreating it. And why was that soul misunderstood and mistreated? Because it woke up to the bridegroom and because the bridegroom had revealed something to her that nobody else could really understand. So these experiences, and so the bride complains to the bridegroom, and he comes and consoles her himself. These experiences that I'm I'm sharing with you, these are not extra biblical experiences or experiences only for the few and the elite in the Catholic Church. These are experiences that baptism has inducted us into, and they're part of the living experience of the Church. And while I myself may never have a rapture or an intellectual vision, I can yearn for the intimacy with the Lord that is behind that vision. And I can yearn for that union and friendship with him that that vision speaks to, because in heaven, that will be my greatest possession. She's opening up for us a vision of heaven, not far away from us, but a vision of heaven that is right in us if we turn our thoughts to him who made us and surrender everything to him.
0: How wonderful. I I think she even says in here, Why wouldn't you run to that? Why wouldn't you, when you get just even a little bit of a glimpse, it just, why would you not want that in your life as a part of you, through, with, and in you? Why wouldn't you want that? Amen. Anthony, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Chris. And I'm looking forward to continuing our conversation about this interior castle and the beautiful experiences that happen in the dwelling places
0: you've been listening to beginning to pray with dr anthony lillis to hear and or to download this conversation along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs visit discerninghearts.com there too you'll find an audio version of the interior castle by saint Teresa of avila the masterwork in which this series has been based This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis.